morning, everybody. It's great to see you all here on this beautiful morning. It's probably the, nice, the nicest Sunday we've ever had as a church. Think about that. That's awesome. That's really cool, especially when you consider how terrible it was the first few months when we launched. Um, so anyway, we are in the book of Ephesians, but it's actually our last sermon uh, going through this letter, um, which is kind of exciting, kind of a bummer. I have profess my love for the book of Ephesians often uh, throughout the sermon series, so I'm a little disappointed uh, to be done spending time in the book, but I I am excited to move on to what we have uh, the rest of the summer, uh, just to give you a little bit of a a preview so you know what to expect. Uh, Once we finish today with the book of Ephesians, we're going to be spending about three weeks uh, in the Psalms, going through a few different Psalms. Uh, We're going to do a six-week sermon series through the book of Ruth after that, which is going to be really fun. Uh, Julie's been preparing hard for that one, and we'll be kind of uh, taking the lead on that on that sermon. So that will be that will be a really exciting one. We'll probably do a couple of visioning sermons uh, that will kind of uh, prepare us to head into the fall, and then uh, when September comes, we'll actually be, get started in the book of Daniel, which will uh, take us up until Christmas. Uh, so that's a little bit of what to expect here uh, as as we move on throughout the rest of the year. But before we do, we are like I said, we are closing up the book of Ephesians. So Paul has uh, like one last uh, kind of admonitory section where he's going to talk a little bit about what he, what he, what he wants us to live like, what, the, what this distinctive life of Christians should be uh, that has kind of been the theme of the second half of the book. So he has w- one more thing that's about what is distinctive for us as Christians to say, and that thing is, and this is where we're going to really kind of couch ourselves for the day, is that um, it's one of the distinctive things about us as Christians is that we are people who who are made by God, we are owing our very essence as people and as a community to God, and we must people who who continue to rely on him um, for for life, for sustenance as we move forward, okay? So we're going to break down uh, that idea today, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about Egypt, Um, ancient Egypt, uh, modern day Egypt, doesn't really matter. Um, Egypt, if you've never heard of it, is a country in, in northern Africa, which is located in a desert. All right, and and obviously deserts are places where it's hard to live and grow crops and to find food to eat, and that's why not a lot of people tend to live in deserts. But Egypt has been this world famous uh, empire. I guess it's not really an empire anymore, but for for years it was uh, one of the greatest empires in the entire world, um, and, and has continued to thrive for centuries because of really of one thing, and that thing is the Nile River. And the Nile River runs through the entire uh, country of Egypt, and it's, it's, it kind of runs like, like th- as a ribbon through the country uh, that, that's, that basically supplies everything that this country has needed to survive for centuries. Like this one river running through, through this desert has basically made this place exist for centuries. Um, and, and actually, I saw a stat that says 99% of Egypt's 83 million people live along the Nile River. Okay, so it gives you a sense for which how much of an important factor in the life of this country the Nile River is. Uh, so just, just think, think about the, what a waterway in the middle of a desert like that does. All right? It produces, uh, it produces f- uh, fertile g- ground and farmland for crops to grow. It gives, it gives a, a water source for humans and animals alike. And so animals are able to live along this river and uh, they're able to kind of create their own animal ecosystem. And, and humans are then able to come alongside of that and they're able to uh, eat the animals and uh, to grow crops on here um, and to have water for themselves 
themselves. They can, they can fish from the river, uh, humans and, and animals alike. And, and as you have that basis for a society there, you're able to kind of see it grow and develop from there. And, and obviously, that's exactly what happened. You, you saw civilization develop, and it became, at, at, at different points in history, the most advanced civilization in the entire world. In the book of Exodus, which is, which is obviously one of our most important books of the Bible, Egypt is like the greatest empire the world has ever seen at that point. And it's largely because of the existence of the Nile River running through the middle of it. Okay? So the big idea I want you to grasp here is, is what this life-giving source uh, in the middle of this desert uh, provides for the people who live there. It provides a basis uh, for it to grow in the first place and then allows it to be sustained uh, as it moves from there. Okay? Now, I want you to grasp that concept because that's how, that's how God and his grace is for us as Christians. And that's how, when we really look back through the book of Ephesians and we see what Paul has to say uh, as he wraps the letter up, this is the same is true for us. We have this like, gospel ecosystem that's been created uh, where, where God has started it, he's created it through Christ, and then continues to sustain it for us as we move forward, as we seek to live in this in the society that he's created for us to live in. We continue to do so uh, sustained by the grace of, of God himself, okay? And this is, this is for us the lifeline. This is, the, this is what tethers us. This is what gives us a continuing life to go forward as Christians, to continue to try to live out what we're called to do on an everyday basis. Stuff we've been talking about uh, since we started uh, the book of Ephesians out, and stuff that we continue, we'll continue to talk about as we, we shift out of the book of Ephesians, okay? Now this stands in, in a bit of a direct contrast to kind of this, this idea that we should be self-made men and women, right? This is kind of, uh, this is kind of the myth of, uh, that we have as a culture where, where we're told that we can do whatever we want, but it's up to us to go and actualize and accomplish that. Right? It's, it's all on us, and we're, we're the thing that we need to fundamentally uh, rely on and, and able to make anything happen, right? Uh, and, and you see people that are, that are driven to do different things because of this. I had a friend in, in college who was convinced that he could be an NFL kicker if he just tried hard enough. He was like, you know what, this look, it looks pretty easy. I bet you I could, if I just devoted a year to training, I could be in the NFL in a year. And, and obviously that it seems a little red. even kicking is probably the easiest part of football, but, but like, it, it still is like, I don't think that that's totally possible. He convinced himself of that. And, and I've definitely seen other people who, who've been driven to try and chase their, their dreams, um, even though like they weren't, weren't quite able to accomplish them. Right. But, but we, we have this like myth that we should be able to go out and do whatever we want, right? Or at least in parts of the country we have that myth. There are other places, that sometimes like right under our noses, where, where the American dream is something that's held up for people and, and maybe it's, it's something that seems unattainable, right, because of the starting point of different people. Um, I, I was reading actually just an opinion article in the New York Times recently by uh, a lady named Raniqua Allen, and she was just talking about her interviews with over 70 African-American millennials from a range of places around the country who just... American dream was still what they wanted. They still wanted to be able to do it, but just weren't able to accomplish it because of, of where they had been coming from, right? Now, in both of these places, the ultimate view or the ultimate goal is, is happiness uh, achieved through working your way to, to, to get there, right? Um, and then we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of given that happiness. We're kind of given that ideal life that we have for ourselves uh, by proving ourselves worthy of it, by working hard, by, by working our way to the top. And so what we get is kind of what we deserve for our hard work, right? Um, now, this is... This, this is 
in contrast to kind of what the book of Ephesians is talking about, where in order for us to make this work, right, in order for us to make this work ourselves, we have to be able to, to rely on God. We have to have this understanding, like Ephesians has been breaking down for us, that uh, it has to do with God's work in the first place, right? If we go back to the very beginning of the book, we find out this was God's plan from the very beginning. And, and as we kind of look back through the book, which, which we kind of will do at different points in the sermon today, we'll see the way in which God's grace and God's work through Christ is, is behind even the stuff that, the instructions that Paul is giving us to live out, okay? So, so let's kind of move into the passage. And, and the way that Paul kind of kicks this off, or the way that he, actually he ends the letter, but he kicks off what we have for today's sermon, is actually talking about prayer, okay? So let's, let's move into it and let's see what he says. All right, Paul says in verse, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, he says here, a very, very blanket statement, On all occasions, I want you to be praying, Okay? Every occasion that you come up uh, against is, is the type of occasion that you could be praying about. That's what he's saying. Which is like, that's a, like all occasions is all occasions, right? That's, that's a lot of, of stuff that he's saying that we can be praying for. Um, that, that's a lot of, of things that we should be like imagining that we, could be, we should be relying on God for, right? But we, we just don't do that, right? Um, he narrows it a little bit. I want to talk about that a little bit more, but let, let's continue with the passage. Um, he narrows it and actually specifically says, be alert and keep on praying uh, for all the Lord's people. And then he says after that in verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So so Paul is saying this this thing that we're doing, right? I want you to be taking time to pray for the rest of the Lord's people, right? The rest of the church, take some time to pray for them, and then even pray for me, even, even me, who, who has been this trailblazing missionary, right? The one who started this community that the Ephesians are living in, in the first place. He's asking very humbly for them to continue to pray for, for him, right? For something he's, he's very clearly very talented at, right? Paul has done this job that he's been commissioned to do by God very well, Right? That's the whole reason he's writing this letter to them in the first place. But he still asks them, will you please pray for me so that I may continue to go and do this work well. Um, j- just as a side note, speaking as a leader here, like, like Paul is, and I know I'm speaking for Julie, I know I'm speaking for your community group leaders, is anyone who's in some sort of leadership role or servant leadership role here at Res City, like, it's, it, we appreciate when you take time to pray for us, right? It, 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 it shows that, um, that you are, you're valuing the work that, that we do so much that you're asking God to continue to help us do it. And, and it shows like, that you value that work because you think it benefits you. So, so please do take time to pray for us as leaders. Um, all right, that, that's a side note. But let, let's get back to this idea of like praying on all occasions and just how maybe tough that can be for us to do. I want to use a little bit of a thought experiment here to kind of make this point. So earlier today, we, we talked through the Lord's Prayer, right? Which is one I, I would guess you've at least heard a few times in your life, if not very many times in your life, all right? Now, there's a, there's a line in here, this is from verse 11 from Matthew 6, where, where Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. We kind of pass over it pretty, pretty clearly, right? We, we kind of assume this means like the food that we eat, you know, we're asking for God to give us food. I want you to imagine 
as this probably was actually, actually happened, that when Jesus is giving this Sermon on the Mount, because this is part of the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, that there's actually someone, there's actually a bread maker in the crowd, right? And they hear this and they're like, and they're like, huh, that's, that's weird. And they, maybe they raise their hand and like, Jesus, so I love the rest of this prayer, but I think I'm just going to skip this part because I just, I have that covered on my own, right? Like the bread part is not, not necessarily something that uh, I'm going to need, need to pray about because like I'm the one who's taking care of that, okay? But rest of the prayer, really great. I'll make sure I say this, this, this very often, all right? Now, that would be, uh, that would be, a misunderstanding, obviously, on the part of this bread maker, for them to actually kind of think that, right? Now, right in front of them, yes, they're, they're making bread every day, but like, to actually step back and consider what goes into the making of that bread on a regular basis, for them would, would be for them to say, like, there's so much that happens in, the, you know, in this loaf of bread that gets made that is completely outside of my control, even if I have a really important role within it, right? Um, I, I would, grew up in a family that taught me how to make bread, or, or somewhere I learned to make bread, right? That was not something that I necessarily had control over. Um, I, I, I live in a place that has fertile soil to be able to grow bread. Um, I, I, I am able to have people that are able to work in the fields and to help me to pick this grain and to put this bread together. It's not just me that's doing this. It's a whole group of us. And, and I didn't necessarily go out and, and grab all those people to make them help me. Um, and, I, and then, you know, the most obvious point is this bread maker doesn't have any control over the weather, right? Like, which is, is very important for the growing of wheat to make bread, right? There's just so many things that are, that are out of, presumably out of the control of this bread maker. And when you think about it, there, we have far less control over our circumstances, even if we have an understanding of how it all works, um, that, that we, should, we should be able to, uh, like this, you know, hypothetical bread maker, be able to step outside of ourselves and see, even the things that we're really good at or the things that we have learned how to do well or have lots of resources to do, there's still so much outside of our control that to really, uh, to really consider doing that well means relying on God in a way that we're not used to doing because we're so focused on the things right in front of us or, or we're so uh, focused on what, what we can do and, and our ability to achieve it. And, and it's a really powerful thing, I think, for a bread maker to recognize this. And for, for a person who works, whatever, wherever it is that you work, whatever it is you do, for you to recognize your own dependence, even on something you're really good at, just like what Paul was talking about earlier, for him to say, uh, you know, this is something I've been gifted to do. I'm obviously talented at it, but I am asking you to, to take time to pray for me in that work. Like, that's a powerful thing when we're able to do that too. And, and so Paul is calling us to do that, um, which is something that goes for sure uh, against the grain of what, of what we tend to think. Now, now, don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me saying that, like, we don't, we don't have responsibility over what we do, or it's not important that we, we work hard um, and that we try to go out and do, you know, do things well, right? Like, that, that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, I'm just saying, like, we need to, to be humble enough to recognize um, and to take time to pray for, to ask God to bless the different things that we go out and do, okay? That's a distinctive life of what it looks like to live out this vision of the book of Ephesians, all right, so Paul has said that about prayer, and then he's going to go into this like final kind of salutary couple of sentences, um, and he's going to wish grace, and he's going to wish peace on the Ephesians. Now, if you remember all the way back to the very beginning uh, of, of the book of Ephesians, which is back when we started the church, 
So a long time ago, I know you guys have probably all completely forgotten about that by now, um, but, but pa- Paul actually says the same two things. He wishes grace and peace onto the Ephesians. And this is actually, like, he, he uses these in a lot of his letters. It's kind of like one of his, his like, go-to, uh, go-to opening for a lot of his letters. But um, I want us to just pause and reflect on that because uh, Paul has has talked about grace and peace in the letter. And so he's not just kind of casually throwing it out there. Like, you know, we would say, with all love, and then we'd sign our name at the end of the letter. Like, he's actually kind of causing them to go back and to look at uh, what has come before it in the book of Ephesians. So I want us to spend a little time just kind of thinking about, uh, about that as well, okay? So starts out with peace, verse 23. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Now, this is both of these uh, verses that we're going to talk about here are a little bit hard to translate and actually understand what Paul's saying. Um, the word faith, the Greek word pistis, it can be translated a couple of ways. So it can be translated like faith as in like belief, but it can also be translated like faithfulness or like um, loyalty to something. And it seems like uh, that this is probably best translated faithfulness and the love and faithfulness is from Jesus on our behalf, okay? So we, we are relying uh, on the loving faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and, and we are get peace from that. That's what Paul is saying here, okay? And he's reminding of that, and he's wishing that to them um, with an eye on remembering the faithfulness of Christ to make this take place. Now, I don't think peace here necessarily means like freedom from all conflict or just a peaceful life or hakuna matata or something like that. Okay, Paul, I think he's he's rooting it back in earlier in the letter because he's actually talked a lot about peace uh, earlier in the in the letter. In chapter two, verses sixteen and seventeen, he he says uh, Paul is saying that his purpose, this is God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. So what he's talking about is a peace. He's wishing a peace on this community that is representative of what Christ has done in bringing us together, right? In this context, he's talking about bringing together Jews and Gentiles, this kind of famously hostile uh, um, conflict that had gone on for for, for centuries between Jews and and non-Jews for so long and formed so much of the national identity of of Jews in the time that Paul is writing. Uh, Paul is saying, listen, Christ has created peace between us, all right? And so I want you to live this peace out, peace that Christ has done for us, Christ that, peace that Christ has made possible for us as a community now, as a group, you know, different groups of people coming together. I want you to live that out, okay? But don't, we can't forget that that peace ultimately comes from the life-giving source, Jesus himself, all right? So that's what he's wishing on them there. He transitions now uh, in verse 24 to say, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That's the way the NIV translates it. Very weirdly, very weird to read that um, if you actually read it in the Greek, but it probably makes more sense than what I have uh, here in in italicized underneath it. Grace be with all those loving our Lord Jesus Christ in immortality. With the idea of immortality being 
applied to Christ, right? This, he's the one, if we go back to chapter 1, who, who now reigns in immortality, who reigns uh, forever. That's where God has set him up, okay? Now, once again, grace. This is not the first time that Paul has talked about grace. If you remember back also in chapter 2 uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul has talked actually quite a bit about grace, okay? And this is maybe the most famous section of the entire book of Ephesians, um, where Paul says that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So grace is, is very clearly a gift. Paul actually takes it as an aside to say it is a gift that has been given to us. Right? And it's, it's, a, it's a gift that's not fitting the recipient, right? It, there, there is no self-made man or woman in this passage, right? This grace is given to us completely freely as a gift, with, with no regard for the worthiness of the person who is receiving it. And so, so what happens is, like, our works, at its very best, can, are turned into some sort of attempt to force God's hand, right? To, to, make, to make him think that we are deserving of this gift, Right? Uh, Paul very clearly says we are, we are not self-made when it comes to being accepted by God. We are people who are wholly reliant on this gift, right? But that gift comes to us so that we can now go live out good works. And, and if you remember when we talked about this earlier on in the book, the word handiwork here is, at, is the Greek word poema, which is where we get the word poem from. So he's saying we are God's artwork who are now supposed to go live out these good works. But once again, we can't confuse this. We can't get the order of these wrong, right? It's coming from our life-giving source of Christ and his grace for us, his gift for us, that we are now allowed to go out and do good works, right? Whether it's good works here in the church or good works outside of the church in, in our normal places. This is all coming uh, from God, all right? So th- to, that's, that's going to be our application here, our, our very first one here, is we have to remember that the church is this ecosystem that springs from God in Christ uh, through the Spirit. Okay? Paul has closed the letter by talking about grace, he's been talking about peace, and we've identified the ways in which these are things that, that, that come from God himself in the letter, are important things in the life of Christians, and now we're called uh, to live this out. Th- this is... At the beginning of the series, I mentioned that this is all God's story, right? In the very first sermon, we talked about it. And that's actually one of our, two of our values here at Res City are kind of encapsulated here. The first two, this is God's story we're living in, um, and that uh, and that it's Christ at the center, right? Everything is flowing from him, just like the river um, in the Nile. And, and I just want to, like, just run through some of the big points in the book here. You might remember these as, as we've talked about them. And just remind us that even though some of these things are stuff we're called to, and, right, and the big point of the sermon was to call us to live these out, it is still something that comes uh, from the work of God through Christ. Right? The whole point we're here in the first place is because God chose us. Right? That's election. That, that came in verse, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Um, we have this power that is given to us that, that, God, that Paul wants us to, to understand to know, but that's all there because of the resurrection of Christ, something we didn't do. We just talked about this in verses uh, 8 through 10, but we're given new life and we're made God's artwork through the work of God's grace. And then we're united together, again, through Christ's work on the cross, tearing down the wall of hostility for us. 
Uh, in chapter 4, we, we, we spent a couple weeks talking about the giftings that, that God gives us, right? But this is a gift from God, right? Even though it's our talents, our things that we're using uh, in some way in the church, right? And we're calling all of us to, to live that out. We have to remember this is something that's been given to us by God in the first place. Um, we talked about uh, marriage and children, but specifically in the, in the marriage passage, we talked about the way God, Christ loves us as, his, as, as, our, as, our, as our groom, um, and the church is his bridegroom, and he has given himself up for us, right? To give us a model of what it looks like in marriage for us to live that out. And then finally, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago um, in regards to slave and masters. Even in this hierarchical world that Paul is writing into, there is a quality that's given to us by Christ, because he is everybody's master within the church. It doesn't matter if you're, you're a slave or a master. We are completely equal at the foot of our master, Jesus. Okay? So, so even in these things that we have talked about, and, and we, I, you know, Julie and I have been challenging you to live out throughout the book of Ephesians, we can't forget that we are, we are, we are in this, this ecosystem of God's grace. Okay? For us to, to remove ourselves from that or forget that would be like us you know, living in Egypt and choosing to go uh, make a home 100 miles away from the Nile River and expect ourselves to be able to, to survive. You know, maybe for a little bit, but that's not the type of, of community that's going to last very long, right? So we as a community need to be rooted um, into uh, the ecosystem that we have been started from. It just doesn't work any other way, okay? And this is also something for us to rest in, right? Like, you know, we... we we're very highly motivated people in this culture. We're very driven. We, we want to accomplish things. We want to be successful, right? That's the way it is out in the world. But that is not how it is in the church, right? We still want to perform. We still want to do those good works that we're called to, okay? But we can rest in the fact that it's God's grace working through us to accomplish that stuff, right? And we can take that burden off of ourselves uh, so that we do not have to be the ones to make it happen at every turn, all right? And our second point of application, I want to go back to prayer, okay? I want us to practice the habit of prayer because prayer is something that causes us to rely on God's grace. Fundamentally, by its very nature, prayer is something that causes us to go back to God to be a reminder that we are reliant on him. That's what the whole practice is about. Walter Brueggemann says that we pray because our life comes from God and we yield it back in prayer. Prayer is a great antidote to the illusion that we are self-made. Right? If we live in a world where we're constantly practicing um, us having to achieve everything, right? which is kind of the world that we live in, right? once you step outside these doors, that's the world you're living in. Right? That's a practice that forms us to think that we are completely relying on ourselves, right? that we're completely out on our own. Okay? We just are training ourselves to think in that way. When we pray often, we are, we are retraining ourselves. We are practicing something else. And that's a life that is completely reliant on God, all right? And that becomes an antidote to this illusion that we are completely self-made. That's what Walter Brueggemann's saying. Think of, it, think of it like this. I've used this analogy in the past, so if you've heard it, um, uh, forgive me, but I think it's a really good analogy, so go with me here, all right? So um, I played the violin growing up. I was not very good at playing the violin. It didn't, so I didn't play very long. And I couldn't, I honestly, like, if, if you brought a violin up here, I couldn't remember how to play it. <laughs> I don't remember any of the fingering or anything like that. Um, and if you put the sheet music in front of me, I would be totally lost. And I would be 
I pretend to play, which is what I did at times when I was younger too, and let everyone else kind of, you know, make the sound, all right? But I do remember, okay, one thing about the violin is that you have to constantly be tuning it, right? Every time before you start uh, practicing or playing it, you have to tune it to something else um, that tunes it so it makes the music it's supposed to play, right? It'll sound out of tune, and it just won't play the piece it's supposed to play the right way if it's not tuned, okay? Um, and it's just something we have to constantly be doing because this violin just gets out of tune on its own. No matter what we do, it's going to get out of tune. That's just how violins work. We are God's artwork. We are God's masterpiece designed to play, right, a certain, a certain song, right, which is called the good works that he talked about in, in Ephesians 2. But in order to do that well, just like a violin, we have to constantly be tuned back to the gospel of grace that's been given to us, okay? Just like, just like the violin does. And, 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 and that means that we have to tune ourselves back to the gospel through different methods. And I think prayer is one of the fundamental ways that we do that. When we are people that are, are constantly praying, it's a reminder to us that we're going back to God because he's the creator of the earth. He's the one who has made us new. He's the one who has made us his artwork. He's the one who has given us this good work to do in the first place, right? He's the one who controls the weather for the bread maker. He's the one that controls uh, the markets for the stock trader. He's the one who who, who controls how dirty it gets in a building for the custodian, right? All of those things ultimately lie in God's control. And when we pray, we are tuning ourselves back to that reality uh, over and over again. Just like going back to the Nile every single day to get a bucket of water for your family to be able to have water reminds you of your dependence on that life-giving source, right? Prayer is us going back to that life-giving source constantly and reminding us of the big picture behind the book of Ephesians. All right, so I would love it if you remembered every sermon that we've, we've talked through uh, in the book of Ephesians, and you remember all the, the calls that Paul has made for us, all the distinctive uh, ways in which he calls us to live. Um, but if I could have you remember one thing from this whole book, it would be that in order to live out anything that we talk about here at Res City, we have to be completely dependent on God's grace. All right? So that's, that's, that's where we're going to close. Um, and a- as we do every Sunday, we're going to close with, uh, with communion, which is, which is another practice that we, we, pr- we do here every single week with the intent of tuning us back to the gospel, right? Every time that we, we come up here and we take uh, communion, we are doing so in remembrance of Christ's body uh, broken and his blood shed for us, right? To give us the very uh, new resurrection life that we have in Christ. It all came from a work of Christ. And we tune ourselves to that every single week. That's actually the main reason we do it every week, just to remind ourselves of that, to come back towards that, and then to, to respond in worship to God, okay? So I want to invite, anyone, invite you all to come up here and take, take uh, communion. Um, all we ask is that you are a follower of Jesus. And, and so before we do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and then uh, please c- come on up and take communion. Father, we, we thank you that through your Son, through the grace and the gift of your Son, um, you have made us new. You have, you have given us peace with one another uh, in a chaotic world. And, and you sustain us as we go out, Lord. As you give us these good works to do, you, you make us your artwork. Uh, you, you also make it possible for us to live that out. I pray that we would be people 
who would, would not lose that distinctiveness in who we are, that we would constantly go back uh, to the gospel of grace that has made us and sustains us, Lord. Um, I pray that you would, you would tune us back to your gospel constantly, Lord. Even when we get so out of tune that we can't even feel like we can get tuned back ourselves, Lord. Reach back in in those moments and, and grab hold of us and tune us in the right way. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, uh, who has made us new and united us. Amen. Amen.